hello. This is Notes from the Back Row. A podcast like no other. Different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Hello and welcome to yeah. Notes from the Back Row. I got kind of lost in the sauce with that cool intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are the official podcast of backdashrow.com. Champions That's, of unsung and underrated cinema even. That is so correct, Dan Gorman. <laughs> welcome and I am Jenna Ipcar and uh, you probably remember Dan more than you remember me because he's the one who's on this podcast much more than I am. It happens. It happens. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes predictably all the time for me, unfortunately. But I love doing it. And guess what? You're listening to Decade versus Decade, which is a fun series that Dan and I have been doing where uh, in an attempt to branch out of our comfort zones, we pit pre 1980s cinema against post 1980s cinema. We spin a wheel on like a genre or a theme. And then we dare each other to watch whatever movie we've chosen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, this is just the fact that I tend to watch things pre 1980s. Dan tends to watch yeah. them post 1980s. And uh, so we're just trying to, you know, force ourselves to to watch other things that, you know, it's so much easier when somebody dares you to do it. Yeah. Um, and previously we have talked about on one episode, we did 60s versus 80s fantasy films. Um, so that's in the archive. You can go listen to us talk about uh, Conquest 1983 and the fabulous Baron Munchausen 1962. And there's also an episode of horror movies, which was 50s versus 90s, um, where we talked about dementia from 55 and office killer from 97. So if that sounds cool to you. And this is the first one of these you've heard. You should go listen to it. And those were both awesome, like really wild episodes. And then we spun that wheel at the end of the last one and we got dun 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 <laughs> drama. Yeah. I think Drama. was it was almost specifically like was it Oscar winners too? Because these are both Oscar winners. <laughs> I think we either way we hit on yeah Oscar winners as like a thing, and yeah. maybe the drama was our choice. I don't remember. Both of these are that's two genres in itself that yeah. I tend to not really care. <laughs> I like <laughs> don't get me wrong. I like drama just fine, but uh, like I was yeah. saying to Dan just before we started, it's just like hard for me to sometimes sit down and watch a dramatic movie. Yeah, because it's just depressing half the time, and you have to just be in like a really good mood and not let it ruin your entire night. Yeah, and. But also sometimes it's one of those things that I've talked about with with um, on Cream of the Crud sometimes where it's like uh, I watch so much just like instantly gratifying things where it's like explosions and people getting their heads chopped off and stuff. And then you're like and and I get into that mode of being like, oh, yeah, like a really, you know, staunchy, you know, starchy drama is not going to be what I want right now. But then when you watch like one that like blows you away, you're like. Oh, the magic of cinema. It's so right. beautiful. 
why don't I watch more of these? Yeah. That's yeah, that's 1000% how I feel. <laughs> but uh well, we ended up choosing two movies. Now we we tend to not like pre-plan this too much besides yeah. the the basic theme. Um we ended up choosing two movies that are kind of about well, they're about families or about um messed up families. <laughs> yeah. Put it that way. Uh one a little bit more so than the other. But uh, we'll just get right into it. My choice was Sundays in Cybele from 1962. Uh, the French title is Sundays in Ville d'Ivry, which is mm-hmm. I'm terrible at French, by the way. Sorry, I took Italian, so blame that. Also, I'm American, <laughs> blame that. But um, the French title is way less spoilery, and I'll get yeah. into why that is. But uh, this is directed by Serge uh, Bourguignon. Mm-hmm. And it won an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film yeah. in 1962. Totally. And I had never seen any uh, Bourguignon films before. I know there's not too many. Um, but it was a name that I was like, oh, I feel like I've heard this name before. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, they have only three movies. So it must have been just this being a Best you know, Foreign Picture nomination winner that kind of made me know the name. I don't think I've seen his other movies either. And I actually hadn't heard of this movie, uh, which is maybe silly because I, I meant to have known all the early yeah. 60s movies. But uh, but I did know. I mean, I know the actors. I know Patricia Goetze is in this, who plays the little girl. She plays uh, Cybele. And she is in um, this movie, uh, Rapture, from 1965, which is, which is mm-hmm. a pretty wild film that I would super recommend. Uh, about a girl who falls in love with a a scarecrow but also like a she mistakes a runaway prisoner for the scarecrow come to life and it's okay. like a really wacky this i mean it's uh this kid's always falling in love with people <laughs> 1000 it's it's weird when i say i say wacky but it's like it's like a little bit creepy kind of a movie yeah. um and then leo marin priest is the other movie i've seen of hers so I did notice that you've seen a movie that they were uncredited on as director called the Picasso summer. And your review was like, they murdered a bull in this movie or something. (laughs) And I was like, Whoa, what? That movie is pretty crappy too. (laughs) I didn't dislike Sundays and Savelle. So the, the plot of this one is, um, basic i mean i chose this uh because the fact that it was you know a best foreign language winner that i hadn't seen Mm it um i tend to like movies about kind of like lost souls finding other lost souls you know Mm -hmm. like that's just sort of automatically a go-to for me um and the plot here is that there's a, a, a a soldier named pierre who is played by uh hardy krueger Mm-hmm. And he is in this town. He's he's like coming off of the French uh, Indochina War, and he has like amnesia. And we it's we get to see in the first scene what happened to him, which is that he was a pilot. He crashed his plane directly yeah. into a young girl, uh, and it just totally you know scrambled his brain. And so he is um, kind of sitting around town at the train station when he sees this father dragging a, a young girl uh, who is uh, we find out his name Francois and um, he drags her to an orphanage like you know drops her off 
and says he's going to be there every Sunday. And then it's very, very clear to Pierre yeah. that, that this guy's never coming back. And yeah, and there's so, like a scene where he finds that out directly from somebody else where he was like, he said he was never coming back. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think he like asked the, the, the station manager or yeah. something. And he's like, did you see a man? And he's like, the guy who said he's never <laughs> <Yeah>. coming back. <laughs> the guy who was leaving yelling like goodbye forever. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, he, he ends up befriending this little girl. Like he, he kind of tried to or originally when the father was there by handing her like a bunch of shiny objects. I think he worked yeah. for this like artist part time and, you know, he said, oh, this is fallen stars. He, and you know, anyhow, he, he comes back every Sunday and he's, he befriends this girl and the orphanage doesn't think twice. Uh, it's all right. Yeah. Nuns who just presume that he's actually the father. Yeah, they're just like, you're the father, I guess. <laughs> yeah, here, take this child from like, yeah. you know, seven to two or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Uh, and yeah, so, um, you know, it just basically is following like the two of them end up in this weird relationship where the little girl, you know, is in desperate need of a, a father or any parent figure because her mother uh, is is also out of the picture. And um this soldier who basically has the mind of a child. So in a weird way that the child in this scenario is the one that's a bit more like aggressive with him and sort of mm -hmm. th there's this like a quasi romance because she's desperate for love. Yeah. And he but also like from a very childlike perspective, because like how would that kid know? Right. Anything and what like they're, saying that they want is right or wrong because <laughs> like, they're a kid yeah right she has this very like you know that oh you're you're a man and i'm a i will be a woman and yeah. so this is how we act with each other kind we're of we're gonna a, get married yeah right um so it's you know it's definitely the first half of this movie i was <laughs> like boy for 62 this could go either way like in a, a french movie i was like this could go absolutely yeah any possible way uh and Basically, then, then at a certain point, the the movie turns, and it's it's about the fact that you know, uh, Madeline, who is uh, Pierre's a girlfriend, basically, or she lives with him, uh, and they have a weird, you know, she also she wants to have a romantic relationship, and he's too out of it to really have to to reciprocate. But um, she finds out what he's been doing with his evenings, yeah. and then other people find out, and then obviously it's a scandal. Yeah. So uh, it, it goes from there. Um, but uh, yeah, what did you think about this movie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so like you, I felt like the first kind of half hour, you know, and, and I know I noticed a lot of reviews on Letterboxd that were like, geez, the French make a lot of movies about like children and adults getting into questionable relationships. Uh, <laughs> and I was also like, I think I was a little hooked early on in 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 a way where I was like you wondering, like this could go a number of ways in a way where I was kind of like, and I got a like, like it, I, it wasn't as off putting maybe in that first half hour where I was like kind of concerned about where it was going to go. And so I was kind of intrigued about what's going to happen here. Um, but I will say that like formally, I think this movie is like amazing. I, I loved the cinematography um, right at the beginning. Even that flashback scene is so weird looking. It has like a weird sort of like great to the like. 
Yeah. You know, and I was like, is my copy broken? And then it, then it went away after that. And I was like, oh, that was just a choice. <laughs> um, but like they're, they it are... almost looks like a printed, like the the dot printed yeah. um, images, but they're all totally. moving. It's cool. It's kind of animated almost, but it's definitely live action. Yeah, and um, some of this, it 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 was a movie that I think this often about when I'm watching older movies where I go like, I really miss when movies were staged. You know, the cinematography is staged in a more almost like like ballet style, like with their movement. Cause there's so many scenes in this movie where the scene plays out and there's so many different sort of like dollies and setups. And there's like all these really striking moments where, where it's hard not to think, and I don't want to be like old man yells at cloud or whatever, but like, it's hard not to think like if they made this movie today, this scene would just be all insert shots, all shots of people's faces. Like there's a scene in this movie where he's, in the bedroom with his partner and she's in the washroom and you don't see her or him, but they're talking to each other and you see him in a mirror exit like the, the room and she doesn't know that he does this. And then she comes out of the room and it's like just really strikingly composed and everything that you need to know is hat you can see and hear, but it's not being just like, here's a shot of her face saying her line. And now here's his face saying the line. It's like, Nobody does that shit anymore, I feel like. <laughs> totally. It's like negative space in cinema. It's it looks yeah. so so striking. Isn't it isn't there even like a mirror reflecting of what's happening? It's yeah, like a you very see, like, like the back of him leave in the mirror. Yeah. And you, so it's like really interesting. And there's a scene, a similar scene in the woods with the two uh main characters where like they come across this weird sort of like dilapidated building and she like goes around it and he goes through it and the camera's like moving into these different setups. And I just was really taken by it visually. Um, where the movie ends, I, I, you know, <laughs> I'm definitely not the kind of person who will watch an older movie and be like, this needs to adhere to these, my modern standards of whether or not this is an okay topic to make a movie about, you know, and I think there's, there is also a lot of that on letterbox where they're just like zero stars, half a star. This is disgusting pedophilia or <laughs> right. something. And you're like, okay, but I did feel like the more this movie went on, I kind of was left on a sort of sour feeling I felt like it was getting very intriguing when it became about like people think this is one thing and maybe it's not as bad as they're saying and there's drama there and she's kind of like I'm going to like watch him and this kid and see what they do and stuff and but without spoiling where the movie ends I kind of felt like it sort of pulled the rug out on the things that were interesting about this movie and then kind of were just like eh they were too pure for this world or like and I kind of was like, not, not satisfied with that. Right. <laughs> like yeah. it was very, there was a very complicated, interesting thing. And then at the end they were like, oh, cause like there's even a line in the movie where it's just like, people can't understand that you're happy outside of the bounds of sun. I was just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, the... <laughs> cause it is, it is very like, like, complicated relationship and there can be interesting things to do in a movie about that 
but I kind of, and then I went and I read about like the book and the book was like, from what I read, I don't know, somebody somewhere on the internet said like, yeah, the book's very explicit. Like he had been a pedophile before. And I was like, oh Jesus. No, (laughs) I didn't even see that. They just admitted that in the movie, I guess. Wow. (laughs) But yeah, I just kind of felt like, like, yeah, I don't know. I was very conflicted about it in the end. And so I couldn't fully fall for it like some people seem to have but i think there's a lot there especially like visually um and the performances are all incredible too so like it was i was very conflicted about it in the end yeah i kind of i'm with you i i think that the thing i found most interesting about this movie was the difficulty of it like the fact that it wasn't clear what was happening And by the end, I'm with you. It was like, it seemed like it was definitely going in a very specific way. And and I was sort of, I I guess I was surprised by just how black and white it sort of became. Yeah, because um, she like, she's, she's kind of like, I can't live without you. And it's kind of like, I don't know, they're like, it's still, and not to be like, again, this is like a thing where you go like, oh, this is a modern take on a, on a older movie, but like, he isn't doing anything in the film that is like explicitly like this is illegal or whatever. Right. But he's grooming her by not right. saying you can't love me and we're not going to get married. <laughs> even if, right. he's, even if he's not grooming her for anything that happens in the movie, but like he's still and and again, and he is some, somebody who's broken and has had horrible trauma. And so like, you also can't be like, well, he should know better. So there's like a conflicting dramatic thing there. That's interesting, but I just don't feel like the movie ends in a way where I was like, and it was worth that watching all of that to get to that or (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, I guess like it's, it's amazing to me that, that a movie, even in 62, it just always amazes me with that. These, a lot of these older movies are more willing to, tackle something as complex mm-hmm. as this and i feel like especially in these times where we're having movies that are out about like you know people battling pedophilia or whatever it's still very like even those movies are just so black and white it's just so about like this is evil and it's like i'm not believe me i'm not saying that pedophilia is not evil do not yeah. misconstrue <laughs> what i'm saying here but um I I just think it's interesting to even explore this idea of like, what if, you know, somebody has this sort of childlike brain, like what are the boundaries and there are boundaries and it's the movie is pretty explicit about that. Um, But I mean, it's just sort of interesting that like misunderstood innocence and like, Mm -hmm. and also just, I think exploring her life and, and her inner turmoil and, and her misplaced romance, I thought was also just, it was a a sort of a delicate and and interesting topic to, come back to yeah and go is such a great actor as you said that all the acting in this was really well done mm-hmm. but um and and the only spoiler that i'll say is just that she has she tells him the whole time i have a name that you know everyone always just presumes my name francois because uh yeah. they don't want to use my real name and her real name obviously is sabelle and she's always t- telling him like you know, if you go get the like the the um what's it called the wind it's like yeah the, the it well they call the it weather um, the weather vane on top of a church right in it the looks subtitles like a they call it the weather cock because <laughs> it's a rooster because it's a rooster yeah weather vane and so she's like if you get this thing off the top of the building i'll tell you what my name is so yeah. um like it's like a last minute thing mm-hmm. uh but she ends up telling him 
Um, but so, yeah. So, I mean, like the, the English titles totally spoils that. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like this idea that she's sort of like holding back stuff about herself and that he never mm -hmm. really seeks to fully understand her. And then all these people slowly realizing what's happening. I don't know. It's just it's a weird, difficult movie. I don't know yeah. that I would recommend it totally unless it really sounds intriguing to you. But it was definitely interesting. It's well made. But Yeah. And I, and I think that there is a. I think what's most interesting about the movie is it's 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 very sad in the finale in a way that I feel like the movie almost doesn't understand, which is that like something awful happens that I won't spoil. And she's now kind of like after having a childhood that's full of kind of drama and like not being loved and she's now kind of like fully broken after what has happened. And it's truly as a result of like the two of their inabilities to understand that what's going on is wrong. And she can't understand that because she's a child and he's an adult and he can't really understand that because he's gone through something awful. And that's interesting, but I feel like they really kind of underline the like innocence and the like, the girlfriend investigating and being like, actually, there's nothing that I don't, I, I saw them and that wasn't what I thought it was at all. And th everyone was just didn't understand it. And I feel like, I feel like they just kind of like arrive at the wrong, you know, final note to end it on instead of like, Oh, what an awful situation for everyone involved. And it was unavoidable because neither of them knew what, what they were doing. And yeah, they how make, bad that is. <laughs> right. They make Pierre into the main character, but it's really, it's Sabelle. I mean, she's the most interesting one. And and yeah, as you said, her trauma is really what, what propels the entire film. Like the fact that yeah. she's the one who is in desperate need of love and, and, you know, kind of looking for it in all the wrong places, unfortunately. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I mean, I, I can't imagine a movie like this winning best foreign film even nowadays <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i'm the same with you like i didn't hate the movie or anything i think there's a lot of people that did and i think i think i do also see a lot of people that were mutuals on letterbox giving it like this was like really well made and i'm not sure how i feel about it and i feel like that's kind of how i ended at it um but yeah like from a directorial standpoint cinematography acting like technically it's really amazing there's like some really wonderful visuals in this movie there's some stuff with water and like the rings of things that have been thrown in the water that are super beautiful and well executed yeah it's just like really really interesting to watch but yeah kind of frustrating right at where it ended <laughs> i kind of think my recommendation for if you like this movie or you like the idea of this movie um, would be either King of Hearts is a really good movie that has it's a definitely more humorous, but also uh, even Harold and Maude is basically the same. That came film. to mind, too. Yeah. And I love Harold and Maude. like Harold and Maude get, gets me like where I live. You know what I mean? Like that movie mm -hmm. really gets me. I, I like I think and, and the people that gave this film five stars, like they're they all seem to be basically saying like what I would be saying about Harold and Mod. Yeah. So like I fully understand why someone could could love this. Like I don't think that it's inherent like there's enough wiggle room and, and weirdness that it it could be many interpretations, yeah. but Yeah, totally. 
I agree. Uh, when I was thinking of the, about Harold Mod when I was watching it too, kind of thinking about like, oh, there's a little uh, some some similarities here for sure. Yeah. Okay. Should I move on to my pick then? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So I picked Ordinary People from 1980, directed by Robert Redford. So when I was picking this movie, part of my mind was going to a a kind of so I was thinking about Oscar winners and and ordinary people has kind of been a contentious Oscar winner um, over the years. And there's a certain type of person that I've come into contact in my life, even before I had seen ordinary people. And let's say it's like a film school type, or maybe a a film, a, a online film bro type where ordinary people over the years just became the movie that like, Martin Scorsese should have won for Raging Bull or like uh, Elephant Man came out that year. And like this, right. this kitchen sink drama, this fucking, you know, yeah, like <laughs> whatever kind of melodrama one. And isn't that bullshit, you know, and I'd heard this like many times over the years. And then a couple of years ago, I watched Ordinary People the first time and just like absolutely loved it and was like, are you people dumb? Like you just can't like a movie because like other movies you liked didn't win a, an award because of it. Like I just, I, I think this movie is, is so amazing and wonderful and, and yeah. And I, so I kind of was just like, it's one of those movies where I dig my heels in a little bit just because I've heard so much of that kind of reaction to it. <laughs> totally. So I, that's why I wanted to pick it. <laughs> had you, and you had seen it before, right? Or no. You know, I had, and it had been a really long time, and I actually think what happened was I saw the majority of it on TV, but I never actually seen, like, I never sat down to watch the full movies, so I was yeah. happy to rewatch it. It was something I'd always been meaning to come back to, but it was also, like, the same thing, where you're like, do I want to feel, like, absolutely miserable today? Yeah, <laughs> totally, and, and, and it is a movie that I feel like, its reputation precedes itself for people that haven't seen it. They just go, Oh, I know that kind of a movie. I don't want to watch it. Um, but basically the movie is about a family, uh, the Jarrett's they live in Chicago. They're pretty wealthy. They are dealing with the fallout of an accidental death of their kind of older teenage son, the golden boy. It's a, it's kind of like, uh, the wrong, the wrong son died trope that was, explored so hilariously and walk hard <laughs> but <laughs> not hilarious uh <laughs> less and, hilarious here yeah so they're dealing with this traumatic event and their son uh conrad played by timothy hutton has tried to commit suicide went to a hospital and you know basically has has alienated feels alienated from f family and friends and ends up going and seeing Judd Hirsch as a um, kind of a psychiatrist. Meanwhile, the mom and dad, Donald Sutherland and Mary Tyler Moore, are they've been married for like 20-something years, kind of unhappy, going with the flow. Mary Tyler Moore is very removed. Uh, Donald Sutherland is kind of throwing himself into his relationship with his son, trying to figure out how he can be happy. And so it's just a movie about them trying to figure everything out and it is it, similar in uh sundays and sabella that it's a lot of people dealing with you know different 
stresses and trauma and trying to, you know, figure out what to do to not be <laughs> in this kind of awful sort of place that they found themselves in. And this one, they actually have a therapist, which is better than Sundays and Sibel ends yeah. up doing. But even then, they're like wrestling with the stigma of therapy. Yeah. So that's it's it's interesting in its own way because they're all very like very resistant to the idea mm -hmm. of helping themselves, but they're all miserable as is. Yeah. And one of the things I like about this movie is, you know, it is from 1980. And so there is an element of like a lot of times when you're dealing with movies about like mental health or people who have been in like psychiatric hospitals and stuff, there's always dated things about it. But I do feel like this movie does a pretty good job of sort of navigating what that's kind of like and how it affects people like the dad donald sutherland is just telling people at a party like yeah like he's gonna go see a guy like sand the rough edges off or whatever and then mary tyler Moore is like how could you tell anyone we have a son that's going to see a doctor she's just like totally mortified right. and so i i feel like it, it's not wildly dated in the way where it you know it is it does seem to kind of be trying to navigate these things honestly and in a way that's not like judgmental and i and i appreciate that from a movie that was probably shot in 79 or something and came out in 80 like <laughs> totally <Yeah. laughs> it's it's a it's a real time capsule which is kind of what's really cool about it it feels like especially i don't know like and all this talk about how there's like no movies about modern times now. And, mm -hmm. and like, so it's neat to see something where it's like, yes, this is taking place right now in yeah. Yeah, 1979. You're like, oh, that's like a little slice of, of, you know, obviously contrived, but life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it very easily could have been a soap opera and there's element, right. there's elements of melodrama and there's elements of that kind of soapy drama to it, but it, but I find that it never tips it so far where it becomes, you know, because there's movies where the melodrama goes so high, it becomes like entertaining for that reason. I, I feel like this movie's like through line of like emotions. Every time I, I see it, I, I really connect with it. There's like a few scenes where I'm just like, whoa, like this is some raw, you know, emotions. And it's and some of it is very broadly sketched, you know, kind of stuff that people in you know upper middle class we're probably dealing with and so yeah i don't know there's it's it's a good balance of like you know the the drama is relatable but the people aren't as relatable because they're maybe a little bit richer but it's not like a kind of a soap opera where you're just watching rich people bitch or whatever yeah it's right like, they nail a really good sort of middle ground there i feel like yeah, it's such a sensitive film, which is is definitely its strongest part. And it, you know, every character feels like a a really a real like fully fleshed out character. We get enough time. It's a slow movie. It's only two hours, but it feel it like feels longer, but in mm -hmm. a good way. Like it doesn't. You're not like ready for it to end when it ends. Yeah, but it it moves very like slowly and deliberately. And so in that sense, it's you know, and it's adapted from a book that uh, I actually wouldn't mind reading because the book sounds pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I also kind of feel like the one, my my other thing about this movie that is just that I wish that we learned a little bit more about Mary Tyler Moore's character yeah. because she's the one who's the most repressed. And they talk yeah. and they basically use that against the other two characters to like launch into their inner lives. Mm -hmm. And we don't totally, we get a good sense of it for sure, but we don't really get to see yeah 
what she's thinking the way that we do for Donald Sutherland. And yeah, uh, she doesn't get the scenes where they were, where she just like talks it out or right. has this had there would, it would have been nice to have scenes where she had a separate character to have more of a discussion to them or something. But I, and I, so I agree, but I do feel like, um, Mary Tyler Moore and, um, Robert Redford give, they do give a lot. It's just like, like you said, it's, it's just, a, it's not through that kind of like, what is she thinking? It's a lot of like, you, you get the kind of person she is through all of her actions. Like when the son is like, I'm not going to eat the French toast. And she's like, oh, I'm just going to throw it down the garbage then. Or <laughs> like, you know, she, the way she can't talk to him, she's always like moving things around. She's having a conversation with Conrad and she's like moving plants and opening doors and stuff. Like what else can I do to not have to figure out this conversation or there's a lot of like framing her through doorways. Like she's in another room. Yeah. She's not even in the room that you're in and you're having a conversation. She's just totally checked out, but it would really have been nice. Yes. To, to have maybe had her and like one of her friends. Cause, cause the movie puts a lot of her characters, you know, I think I read on Wikipedia, they, they talk about like her character having like traits of nar a narcissist and they put a lot of, they put a lot of mm -hmm. like effort into making her be like, I have to go to the parties. I have to go on trips. I'm going to throw myself into like these social situations without actually like investing in them. She's just kind of there to distract herself in some way. And yeah, I think it would have, we get a little bit of it when I guess not really where they go golfing with their friends. It's still like, it would have been nice to have something with her and maybe somebody that's not Donald Sutherland where she could just like say, what she's feeling like everyone else gets to. Yeah. I mean, like that's interesting about her being a narcissist, which is like, I, there's a, there's a cool to me, this movie. I mean, her character is so cool. And Mary Tyler Moore like acts her face off in this yeah. movie and she really crushes it. And it's kind of cool to have a female character who is a mother and is also the stoic one, mm -hmm. you know? And she's, I, I would feel, I feel like at first she does feel narcissistic. And I do think that the, the fact that we don't get to see her inner life, ever the way that we do the father and the son does make her feel like it pushes more towards that. But then what you're describing to me just sounds like she's just avoidant, you know, it's like yeah. she would rather be doing, she's someone who is like, can do is always like ready, like has an answer for everything, yeah. but there is no answer for your dead son. You know, like no. it, you have to like, you have to confront that and you have to accept loss and she can't do that, you yeah. know, and, and she's too afraid to, to, you know, she doesn't believe in therapy and, you yeah, know, there's too much stigma. And so she's just totally like frazzled and kind of just lost in her, in her own world. You yeah. know? And so that is such an interesting, complex character. And I, I just like it's not that we needed her to like have a big crying breakdown no. scene as much as I just wanted to like spend a little more time with yeah. her. Even like she could have just been a scene where she's just alone or reorganizing a bookshelf or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like something where it's very clear, like. Oh, this is just how she copes with everything. Totally. Like, this is, and it's and they, there. It's totally in there. They give you just, just a little bit of it, like her doing the napkins and stuff in a drawer. Right. But yeah, like I agree completely. And she's, she's the, you, you get that like sense that she's built like a house of cards, you know, internally. Right. And she's just like, I have to keep these, this house of cards up. I have to keep these plates spinning. Because if I don't, then I'm going to have to confront 
these things that are wrong the and void. I cannot do that right now. And, and I think that that's such an amazing performance from her um, for sure. And yeah, it's like, yeah, but I, I am also with you. I do wish there was a bit more, you know, from, from her perspective. And one thing that I wanted to bring up that isn't really an analysis of the movie or anything, but the Halloween scene where she gives out loose caramel apples with no wrap. What the fuck are you doing, Mary Tyler Moore? <laughs> Do they have Those to eat the them days. right away? <laughs> I guess. Or are they throwing a like wet caramel apple into a sack? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, like wet caramel apple, hear me out, covered in Halloween candy, <laughs> unwrapped. Yeah, If everyone's totally. just giving you unwrapped candy... Which is where I'm presuming number one sounds very 1980s to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's where the razor came in, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, with all my unwrapped candy that people's <laughs> multiple people's hands yeah. touched. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the only other thing about Mary Tyler Moore is <clears throat> I think I think maybe a charitable read of the movie would say that, like, the parents are actually slightly against type for this kind of a movie where I f- I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I feel like I've seen many movies where the dad is the guy who's like, what, I got to talk to my kid. I got to figure out his emotions. I can't do that. I got to go over here and build something or go into the yard. And he's the one like distracting himself with all these things because he can't deal with it. And then the mom is maybe the one who's like running to the son to be like, what's wrong with you or whatever. So right. I don't necessarily think that's like, oh, they subverted it. But it is a there was an element of it where I was like, that is a little interesting. <laughs> I mean, Donald Sutherland really crushes it too. He's just the right amount of like sweetness and total, like he's totally lost. Well, he's know? trying to fix, you know, he needs to fix Conrad cause he's in a similar way to Mary Tyler Moore. Right. Like he can't, he, if, if he's not focused on his son being okay, then he's got to go on a trip with his wife and realize that they don't love each other anymore, which is yeah. so fucked. Right. Like, so it is a whole movie about these people that are, you know, like Timothy Hutton as the son is basically going to his doctor and saying, like, I have to be OK so that no one will worry about me. <laughs> right. And it's just like a lot of people being like, I have to do these things so that the other people will be OK. <laughs> and it's so. Yeah, so like heartbreaking and and there is no real like solution. And in some ways, like you said, I. I almost am surprised they didn't make like a sequel to this where it's just like now they're divorced and like, what's the drama of them trying to be a divorced family? But yeah, there is just sort of like a, a brutal ending where it's just like shit's scattered. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, I think about this too, where, you know, a, a movie where, um, the the whole point is just about miscommunication, right? And mm-hmm. like that in itself is just so damning because you have this like what if for so much. And like the characters are all what ifing about the yeah. death of their son. And, you know, you're watching this and you're just like, just tell them, just say it, say it to your husband, you know, yeah. and you see kind of how, how divorces happen in real time. Uh, and I think in a, again, and told in a sensitive and realistic kind of a way, it's not mm-hmm. that it's like some big, you know, the, the big event is one thing, but really what, what destroys the relationships between this whole family is the fact that they just can't express themselves and mm-hmm. they don't know how, you know, and that's like a, a sort of almost a horror film in itself. It's like, yeah. if only they, they knew, but even that's not a guarantee that this would have been, you know, that they would have found a way to, to make it all work. So yeah, 
you know, it's, it's definitely, I, I mean, this movie, you know, when you're talking about people bitching about, you know, Oh, it's, it's no raging bull or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, Oh, it's actually like a wildly sensitively made, like the direction is just, you know, just like there enough that you notice it, but it's also not like so drably directed that anyone could have done it. Right. You have like these, like, like four incredible performances, like a great supporting cast. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe the stuff with the dead son is a little kind of like, you know, cheesy, like boat accident thing or something, but it's still pretty horrifying. Like there's, there's not a lot that's like dated in a way where you, you watch it and you go like, Oh, I had to get around that cheesy stuff. It's like, I don't know. It still stands up. I feel like. Totally. And I, and you know, actually talking about the, the direction is interesting with this because the, the settings are so memorable. Like, yeah. I feel like I know every inch of that house. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, to the credit of the direction, because you really like, you never feel like you're trapped in a house for this movie. There are other locations. Yeah. But you spend the majority of time in that house. And it's always like a different, like you really get a, a real sense of the place. It feels lived in. It feels like this yeah. family is inhabiting it. And there's that vastness of the house is reflecting the the you know, the chasm between each of these people and, yeah. you know, like it, it's, yeah, it's just, it's very well done overall. And Judd Hirsch just rules. I mean, oh my God. Yeah. And, he's so and good in this. When you do go to other locations, it's stuff like Judd Hirsch's office. And there's a lot of like great set detail there for his kind of office. I love the, the scene with Tim Lee Hutton where he's like, what is this? This is a clock. Oh, you get to tell the time, but I don't. <laughs> Cause it's like facing him and not the, the patient yeah right there's just a lot of like really i I guess it's just an easy movie to to not see the work like the acting there's enough scenes where i think the acting goes into that like everyone gets their kind of like breakdown scene and so maybe not so much the acting but in terms of the technical stuff like soundtrack and cinematography and direction like it's I, I guess it's easy for people to watch it and be like, oh, no, it was just some drama. And you're like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Get some get some more loss in your life. people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, how to me. I mean, like this is more relatable than Raging Bull ever was for me. And I'm not trying to diss Raging Bull, but just because you because you brought it up. And yeah. It's the yeah. one in my head now. But like. It, it really is. I mean, like this is so much more relatable and, and human, uh, you know, than just like, you know, than boxing, even on whole, I, I just yeah. feel like a, you know, a family that's, that's falling apart. Like, I don't know. I feel like these are the types of films too, where it's like, even if you haven't experienced anything like this mm-hmm. in your life, it gives you so much information about what happens when these things go down. And like, I guarantee that you will find this kind of stuff useful to mm-hmm. have even as movie experience <laughs> in your life in order to deal with other, the other things that you will deal with. Uh, I mean, now I'm like preaching a lifestyle movie, but it's just like, it kind of is. I just feel like it, there's, there's something very human and relatable about this that, you know, you may as well kind of go through it. The, the light movie version way, because when you actually experience something like this in real life, it's just going to, crush the hell out of you you're gonna you're never gonna survive like you may as well have judd hirsch as like columbo therapist (laughs) talking you through it yeah i love it it's one of my favorite movies for sure and uh yeah very good (laughs) so what do these two movies have in common 
anything besides i mean like yeah okay families and and lost souls i suppose but they're kind of they're pretty different movies Mm -hmm. like the sibel feels more almost fantasy-esque and storybook-esque even though it's about this really dark messed up situation uh and this other one's just uh, you know ordinary people's just so grounded yeah it's almost they're they're almost opposites in that way that they have something that grounds the two together where it's about people dealing with like trauma and broken situations and stuff. But Sundays and Sabelle is almost like, and we're going to use that as a launching off point to really lean into stylistic, you know, the, the stylistic presentation of these relationships and ordinary people is like complete opposite. It's like, I'm going to only give as much style as is necessary to underline these situations without, you know, overbearing and becoming style over substance. Nice. Yeah. Damn, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I said, Sundays and Sabelle was like like the black and white cinematography of that movie is beautiful. Um, and the performances are amazing. It's just, yeah, I just wasn't sure about it at the end. It was <laughs> definitely one of the, the the more questionable blind picks I have made. But, uh... <laughs> well, that's it's tough with this concept of pick a pick a decade and pick a movie because my I'm always based, I'm always going like, I'm going to pick something that I know I love and that they maybe haven't seen and see what they think of it. Do they hate it or not hate it? Or do they love it? Or, and, but I do feel like maybe I should make some blind picks sometime soon. <laughs> I love, I mean, like, I, I feel like there's a degree of predictability when it just comes to either like a director or a topic or I'm like, okay, I mm-hmm. might not love this, but it'll probably be very interesting, which is pr- pretty much what happened with this one. But, um, yeah, I, I might go for a, a loved pick for the next round just to make <laughs> up for it. Yeah, I guess we can announce that our next episode will be about rom-coms when we, when we get to it. So maybe, yeah, something post-80s and something pre-80s. We'll, we'll see. And if you have an idea about what we should choose, if, if the audience wants to choose for us, I'm kind yeah. of open to hearing that. Or if you were going to pick a Oscar movie or a drama, what would it have been in what decade? Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. We'll go back and redo the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, backdashrow.com is where you find all the podcasts. Are you uh, are you holding out on X, a.k.a. Oh Twitter? <laughs> no comment. You can find me on backdashrow.com. You can find me at cinema60.com, which is where I do talk about all of these 1960s movies um we just did a whole episode on fellini which was really fun because that i have way too much to say about so it's (laughs) a bit of a long episode but um hopefully you've seen them and uh, you enjoy the discussion dan where what about you are you are you excellent you can find me on the social media platform formerly known as twitter (laughs) now known (laughs) as x uh, or Letterboxd, Y-C-K-M-D underscore. Or I think if you just type in Dan Gorman on Letterboxd, I'll show up. But I'm logging movies over there. You can see what yeah, I think Letterboxd. about uh, Insidious Chapter 3, if you care. <laughs> <laughs> that I kind care, of a Dan. thing. Yeah. I care. Yeah. <laughs> Letterboxd, I'm, I'm Jenna Ipcar at Letterboxd. That's my handle. Very unexciting, um, but mm-hmm. right to the point. Nice. All right. But thanks, Dan. Thank you. Until next time. Yeah. Decade. Decade.